You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Obesity is an epidemic in the United States, leading to morbidities ranging from the cardiovascular to the orthopedic, illnesses from diabetes to depression. We physicians and other healthcare providers are currently doing a pretty poor job helping our patients address obesity. What can we do to help our patients affect and maintain weight loss? Welcome to the Clinician Roundtable. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, your host, and that is our topic. I'm very pleased to welcome in Dr. Robert Kushner, Professor of Internal Medicine, Director of the Wellness Institute at Northwestern University Medical School in Chicago, Illinois, and also nationally known and respected authority on weight and health. Dr. Kushner, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Dr. Friedman, for having me. Dr. Kushner is going to help us talk a little bit about the assessment of the patient who comes into us wanting to lose weight. So, Dr. Kushner, where should we start when somebody comes in with the very common problem of, I need to lose weight, Doc? Well, first of all, Dr. Friedman, I have to say that that alone can be a difficult situation for many physicians. They don't know what to say. They're uncomfortable bringing the topic up. It's often a don't ask, don't tell situation. So the first key point is to bring it up and to make sure you cover that topic. The one thing you do not want to do is to jump right into treatment. You want to start with what I call an obesity-focused history. Everyone has the skills of how to take a history and how to do a physical examination. The key point here is to focus your attention to get the information you need that will eventually lead to a thorough assessment and a treatment program for the patient. And what specific things should we be looking for to get that knowledge? Well, the first thing you want to do is take an accurate and a thorough weight history. I look for patterns in the weight history. There are several techniques you can use. The first is you can ask for key landmark times in the patient's history, such as what did you weigh when you graduated high school, uh, attended college, got married in your 20s, 30s, 40s, etc. Another way to get a weight history pattern is to assess whether one has progressively gained weight in an ongoing manner, such as from childhood or adolescence all the way to the time you're seeing them. Another common pattern you're looking for is weight cycling, so-called yo-yo dieting, that often gets signify an on or an off pattern or mood changes. And the last pattern I often see is one that is secondary to life events, such as pregnancy or menopause in a woman or a job loss or empty nest syndrome in an elderly individual. So having that history and reflecting upon that weight history is really very therapeutic and reflective for both you and the patient. Are there other things then that we should move on to with the patient? Yeah, the next several things are aspects of the history I would say are equally important to cover. One is expectations. You want to make sure that the patient's expectations are in line with yours. That is that they are realistic, achievable, practical, and not idealistic. You can get at that by asking a patient, what do you hope to achieve by working with me? Why do you want to lose weight? What can't you do now that you're overweight that you would like to do? What kinds of barriers do you see? And the more the patient has thought about these questions in detail, the more likely it is that the expectations are going to be in line with what you are looking for. Another area very important is what I would call psychological issues. We're all used to doing a a psychiatric review of systems or a psychological review of systems. This is a key area to address and to touch upon. And the types of things you want to uncover or evaluate would be the common comorbid conditions that you see with obesity. Those include depression, 
body image disturbance. And one more that we don't often screen for, but is, is very important, it's called binge eating disorder. So that is someone who eats a large amount of food in a short period of time, much larger than a normal or healthy person would, feels very poorly about themselves in doing so, have remorse in doing so, often self-loathing, and then only to do it again that week. And that should be a trigger that the patient needs a more psychological care. That type of pattern demands a different type of approach than someone who doesn't have that binge tendency. When you pick up the binge tendency, often they have that weight cycling history, which I talked about earlier. And it's often someone that you're going to want to get additional ancillary help when it comes to treatment. So we need to first bring up the subject of weight. Don't be afraid of it. And take that focused history that looks for the certain patterns that you had talked about. And then not uh, to neglect in that the very key role that psychological issues can play. That's exactly correct. There's just a few other aspects, Dr. Friedman, I want to mention in the history. One is take a good medication history. We are finding out more and more now that there is iatrogenic weight gain going on, and that is we are actually inducing weight gain by the medications we give. Now, the common run-of-the-mill weight gain we see in the United States is due to excessive caloric intake and reduced physical activity, so-called societal or cultural weight loss, excuse me, weight gain. But the weight-gaining medications, we have to be very careful to solicit. The most common ones would be ones we use for diabetes, such as insulin or sulfonylureas, certain kinds of antidepressants. The most commonly one known would be MAO inhibitors. Uh, Some of the psychotropic medications that we use for mood disturbance or for psychosis, such as lanzapine or clozapine or risperidone, and then corticosteroids. And then one of the last things we do is uh, look at readiness. And that is asking questions like, is this the right time to engage in a weight loss program? Do you have social support available? Do you have the resources available? How important is it for you to lose weight and what is your confidence level? The last two I mentioned, importance and confidence, I often use the technique that we have borrowed from motivational interviewing in which we ask them to anchor their readiness, importance, and confidence scores on a scale of 0 to 10. So you can ask the patient, for example, I want to know how important it is for you to lose weight right now, where zero is not important at all, and 10 is one of the most important things there is to do, and they will give you a number. And then you follow up immediately by saying, okay, now I know what the importance is. I want to know how confident you are right now or how ready you are right now in order to lose weight. Again, where zero is not confident to lose weight and 10 is the most confident you thing you do. So by anchoring it in numbers, you, you quickly assess where the patient is in their mind uh, regarding engaging with you in an active weight loss program. That's excellent. Very practical and, and doable things in the office that I wish I were doing more. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Lee Friedman, and I'm discussing weight loss strategies with Dr. Robert Kushner, director of the Wellness Institute at Northwestern University. We've talked about the assessment of the patient. Dr. Kushner, how do we then move into diet advice and assessment? Well, hopefully by now, Dr. Friedman, that each clinician knows the patient a little bit more than they did prior to taking this obesity-focused history. And that lays the foundation for providing what I would call a tailored or personalized approach to weight management. And there's three components that have to be covered in every weight management approach. And that is diet, which is, of course, how many calories or what the patient is consuming. 
physical activity, which is what they're burning off. So now you're talking about calories in, calories out. And the last component, which is probably the most important, is behavior or what I call coping, and that is putting it in, in the context of a person's lifestyle. Now, when it comes to diet, Dr. Friedman, I also think in terms of patterns, just like I do with the weight gain. And the types of patterns you're looking for, and people typically fall into one or a few, would be, example, meal skipping. And that is someone who, you know, who doesn't eat breakfast or barely eats lunch and then, and then they eat dinner and they don't stop eating. Another would be snacking, munching, or grazing. And that's someone who doesn't have a supporting structure in the course of the day and they're kind of just eating throughout the day. Another common one would be large portion sizes. So the person has three meals a day, good start, but each meal is probably two times what they ought to eat, and therefore it's excessive calories. And the last pattern that people typically fall into is what I call eating out or convenient foods, a convenient diner. It's someone who doesn't prepare meals themselves, and everything they eat is, comes pre-wrapped or, or off of a menu or off of a tray. And, and the reason I do this is that people think in terms of style and how they eat. They don't necessarily think in terms of calories and, and food groups, although they do need to learn that eventually. But as a first entry into connecting with your patient, I think in terms of eating styles. And if you can improve your patient's eating style, you could always then, as time goes on, evolve into things like calories and carbohydrates and fats and the like. So you can try to identify one of these patterns, and then you can tailor your specific advice to that individual patient's pattern. That is exactly right. So let me just give you some examples, Dr. Friedman. If I have someone who's skipping meals, the very first thing I'm going to have them do is to get into an organized and structured meal pattern in the course of the day. And if they don't eat breakfast, I want them to eat something to develop a style and a structure. It could be a yogurt. It could be a meal replacement bar. It could be a half of an English muffin. It really doesn't matter to me as long as they establish a routine. If someone's not getting enough fruits and vegetables, if that's what their pattern is, then you're going to be really talking about getting in more fruits and vegetables in the course of the day. If they're eating large portions, you're going to be focusing on a portion control, dividing the plate into you know, taking in more fruits, more vegetables, more whole grains, and, and reducing the amount of fats and the protein. Now, there are certain general principles of diet that you do need to go over. It may not be on the first visit with the patient, but you are going to eventually want to counsel them on. And that includes things like getting in whole grains and increased fiber in the food. So going to whole grain uh, pasta instead of the uh, pasta that isn't whole grain, a sweet potato instead of a white potato, whole grain brown rice instead of white rice as examples. Turning to non-caloric beverages is very, very important. Uh, people get so many calories from caloric beverages and sodas, you want to turn more towards uh, water. And then another one that's very important is slow down your eating. Americans eat so quickly. If you just focus on individuals to slow their eating down and connect their, what I call their hunger to, to the fullness cues, they're going to realize that they don't need as much food as they thought that they did. Very practical points and probably things that practitioner could do. You don't need a nutritionist to give this type of advice and help to your patient. That's exactly right. And I think that's a key takeaway message is that in order to get started with your patient, and you know you have a 15-minute office visit, and, and I would recommend, by the way, that you separate out and delegate a, a visit just for this. Don't put this on top of treating an earache or, or a sore finger. This should be the focus of the visit. You can accomplish a lot of key messages and, and determine and set out a lot of important goals in that 10- to 15-minute office visit if you're prepared and you know what you're actually focusing on. 
goal setting is very important, which is another point I want to make, and that is make sure your goals are attainable. Don't don't have someone try to uh, do a total makeover like you see on TV, you know, the extreme makeover. What you're looking for is small changes that are progressive, achievable, and attainable. And when you designate what those goals are, make sure you write them in your progress note so that when you see the patient back, you're going to be prompted to ask the patient about how is breakfast going? Are you slowing down? Are you keeping track of your, of your diet, either online through a tracking tool or through pen and paper? It's very important to do that. Well, this is a very good initial introduction. You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.